2: Hello everybody and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's our Match Day 10 recap hosted by myself, you, McTierre, and with contributors from the north, from the south, from the east and from the west. There was no classical in the end this weekend as that has been postponed until December. Well, probably December. But there were many classic matches taking place. Plus, the fact that neither Barcelona nor Real Madrid were in action opened the door for Granada to go top of the table. Yes, Granada. Pre-season betting odds had them as the second most likely team after Real Mallorca to be relegated. Yet look at this newly promoted side now. They're the first team to hit the 20 point mark, which is especially amazing because when they went down in 2016-17, they only collected 20 points in the whole season. They lead looking down at everybody from their lofty position at the summit of the standings after a 1-0 win over Real Betis. The goal came from Alvaro Vadillo, who came through the Real Betis Academy making this defeat All the more painful for the green and white side. Just as surprising, I guess, as Granada's great start is Real Betis' poor performance so far this season. They have a top 10 budget in La Liga, but find themselves in the relegation zone. So let's bring in David Whitworth of Radio Betis now to ask, quite simply, what's going wrong?
3: When there is a negative dynamic, all goes against you. I spoke last time on this programme of Betty's being like a jigsaw puzzle to fit together, and I thought they were clicking, especially in the game against Levante when the last 20 minutes. I thought it was all coming together. Well, now the pieces still are needed to be put in place. In terms of the Granada game, well, Betty's huffed and puffed against our local Andalusian rivals. We hit the bar with a great free kick by Sergio Canales. And well, as I alluded to, luck doesn't go with you when things are not going with you. But it goes beyond that. Um, Too many players are playing way below their standards, um, such as the likes of Sergio Canales, Mandy, Andres Guardado, Borja Iglesias especially, only one goal to his name at the moment. Nabil Fakir, World Cup winner with France looking absent at the moment. made a great start to life with us. But at the moment, absent on the field. Mark Bartra as well. He didn't play at the weekend because uh, he's just become a dad again. But still, the list goes on. Our defence is all at sea and is the worst in La Liga with 20 goals conceded. All eyes are on Ruby, who it seems will be given one
2: more chance against Celta Vigo in midweek. But how much of this is the coach's fault and should he be sacked?
3: It's all so very, very easy when things go wrong to say... Well, it's the manager's fault. Well, he has to carry the can, of course, but there's more things at play. The players have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, am I doing enough? And the clear answer is no to that question. If we don't win on Wednesday, uh, I have to say the writing will be on the wall for Ruby because two wins in 11 is simply not good enough for a team that with the budget that we have should be a lot higher uh, in the table
2: what must Kike Setien the coach from last season be thinking right now
3: well it's definitely a penny for his thoughts for Kike Setien indeed uh, he had a fantastic first season getting Bertis into the Europa League. maybe the problem for him was maybe he got us to the Europa League one season too early I think that Maybe the club needed a couple of seasons to just find the feet. Obviously, when you get the chance to go into Europe, you're not going to say no and you have to to build on that, which I think we did. And you could argue that we were ahead of schedule. Um, But again, a lot of people wanting Kike Setien out at the end of the season. He did go and that's football. The classic idiom of the grass is not always green on the other side. People, fans didn't want Setien to continue. Uh, and now we're doing worse than than with when he was here, and some fans are actually wanting him back. I don't think it would be the right appointment to bring him back. Part of me would like to, but I don't think it would because it would be uh, very tough for him to win over the majority of, of supporters that didn't want him to continue. But yeah, he must be thinking now just, well, look at the good work that I did do. None of the summer signings have been that impressive. The questions have to be asked about the recruitment. The simple answer is yes, questions do have to be asked about the recruitment process. We brought in six players over the summer. Only for me, realistically, you could argue that Alex Moreno has been the shining light. He's been the one that's been positive, the rest. Well, Nabo Fakir started well, made his debut in the camp now, scoring in the camp now of all places, but since then he's gotten completely missing it's uh, a lot of uh, decisions to to make at the moment for for the club and questions have to be asked at all levels this club has done a lot of good over the last few years the return of radio bettis the return of bettis tv a new south stand increased money but the main thing is the bread and butter as, as we know is on the field activities
2: thanks for that insight there david making real Betis's current plight even worse is the fact that things are going so well for their city neighbour Sevilla. Gregor Chappelle is also based in the city and he was at the Stadio sanchez Pizjuan for La Liga lowdown on Sunday night to see Sevilla overcome Atafi 2-0 with goals from Javier Hernandez and Lucas Ocampos. Last season, Sevilla lost 2-0 and 3-0 in their matches against Itafi. They just couldn't cope with the Madrid team's style of play but this time they did under new coach Julian Lopetegui. So Gregor, what does this result mean for the new coach and the new project?
4: Lopetegui came out after the game and said that he's really happy with his squad and how they played. He's happy with every aspect of the team, and I think it can be used as a marker to really, you know, kind of look at how much this team and this squad have improved under Lopetegui this year.
2: I just really liked the way that they could compete physically with Itafi because this was quite a violent game Lots of fouls, players battering into each other Like dodge jumps and the crowd got into it too Didn't they? It seemed like quite an atmosphere Through the TV, what was it like in the stadium?
4: Yeah, um, it got a bit tasty At times, especially at half time The referee was getting absolute Dogs abuse for a couple of uh, Dodgy decisions, shall we say In the first half In the stadium it was electric and I think That kind of atmosphere Really helps to push the team on and pushed them forward to get the win which in the end it did
2: Can you talk a little about Sevilla's defence it's three clean sheets in a row now what is that improvement down to?
4: They just seem very well organised very well drilled everyone knows their job they've got two strong dominating centre-halves in Diego Carlos and Koundé you know they kept the ball very well tonight as well which made it hard for Getafe to really threaten them and also I noticed I put a lot of it down to Fernando the holding midfielder who at times would quite often slot back into the defence between the two centre-backs and make it almost like a back five, which gave them a really strong, solid base.
2: Now at the other end, the number nine debate. Just as it seemed that Javier Hernandez, Mr Chicharito, was about to be taken off, he scored. Has he moved ahead of Luke De Jong in the pecking order for that role as Sevilla's number nine, do you think?
4: I was very impressed with him. I thought he looked... Dangerous throughout the 90 minutes Um, He he worked hard for the team He was tenacious He took his goal really well Um, He was unlucky actually not to have two Having hit the the woodworking early on In the first half Um, But no it's good, it gives Luke de Jong a bit of Competition which is always healthy in a squad For me Against Valencia on Wednesday night He starts, definitely
2: Thanks Gregor and yes it's a tasty Valencia versus Sevilla clash coming up in the midweek round of La Liga fixtures. Valencia will be looking to bounce back from a 3-1 defeat at Osasuna at the weekend when they went into a 1-0 lead through Rodrigo only for the striker to then be sent off for an elbow. A bit of a harsh decision in my view for the striker's fifth red card of his Valencia career. That was in the middle of the first half and obviously helped Osasuna massively. They went on to score three times. For a 3-1 victory Meaning that they've now gone 30 home league matches Without a defeat 25 of those were in the second division And 5 have been this season In the top flight It's 23 wins And 7 draws It's scary for teams Going to El Sadar Now let's talk some Espanyol. It's a brand new project at the Catalan club. Pablo Machín has taken over as coach and already has two wins to go with one defeat. This latest win came away at Levante with Bernardo, a centre-back who Machín previously had at Girona, getting the only goal of the game. That means it's a total of eight points from five matches on the road this season for Espanyol in La Liga, whereas they've lost all five of their home games. So let's bring in Barcelona-based Roman de Arquer now to ask, why is this?
5: Well I think it has to do with the pressure the players are going through at the Emirates Stadium. Uh, let's remember we talked about uh, this you were asking me questions in other podcasts on how the fan base was reacting on the bad results And I told you that they were immediately whistling the fans, booing their own players. Even when the games were actually a a draw because of Espanyol's poor performances, they were already unhappy. And you were lacking that support the players needed in those tough times. So when they play away from the RFC stadium, they're liberated from all that uh, tough pressure from their own fans. So there they can do their own thing without having to worry so much.
2: Roman, we've now had three Pablo Machin matches at Espanyol. You said last week that you were optimistic. Do the signs still look positive?
5: Absolutely. I mean, I think the signs are very good at the moment. They've already got two wins, uh, one in Europa League and one in La Liga. And let's remember that that defeat against Villarreal was a very close one. It could have gone anyway. And Espanyol deserved a lot because they had lots of good chances in that um, match versus Los Gorguets. But it's true that against Levante the game wasn't as spectacular, it was actually quite a dull and boring game during most of it, but Espanyol were very confident, Uh, they were quite solid at the back, something we haven't seen from them in a long time, and it's still very early, I mean, Machin just got his hands on this team and he needs more time to make it work, but he's getting the results, he's got them out of the last positions in La Liga, which is what uh, the team needs, so at the moment, it looks good, it looks good.
2: Machin is going to be playing with a very different style, that's clear. But do Espanyol have the squad for what he needs? Do they need another centre-back? More natural wing-backs? Or will they even be going out in January to try to sign Christian Stoane from Girona, a player who made everything work so well when Machin was at the Catalan club?
5: I think he has a good squad uh, to play a 3-5-2 system he likes to use. And having Stuani would be an amazing signing It would be phenomenal for them. And of course, uh, they should try and get him if they can. But my real doubt about this squad isn't as much uh, as adapting to the system, but uh, not having enough uh, substitutes. I think it's not a deep enough squad to be playing three competitions, as I've mentioned before in other podcasts. So they do need signings in terms of uh, making a deeper squad and having more bench players uh, to rotate in all these competitions.
2: Espanyol are top of their Europa League group, Sevilla are top of theirs, and half are second in their group. How impressive is that for Spanish football as a whole?
5: I mean, it's great news, not just for the teams themselves, but for La Liga, for the Spanish Football Federation, and also for all the uh, fans of Spanish football. It also comes to prove to those who are always criticising La Liga, saying it's not the best competition, saying it's it's weaker than other European leagues, uh, that they're actually wrong. I mean, uh, we have a very strong base of, of, of teams. It's not just about Barcelona, Madrid, and Atletico, it's much more than that. A uh, credit to them, and we have to keep up this really good rhythm of wins in European competitions.
2: Yes, Roman, credit to all of Spain's European teams as they've performed pretty well on the continent so far this season, proving just why Spanish football is so great. We've got plenty more greatness to sink our teeth into from match day 10.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Welcome back to this Match Day 10 podcast from La Liga Lowdown. There was no classical this weekend, but there was a classic La Liga matchup as Atletico Madrid took on Atletic Club. This was the 165th top flight meeting between these two teams. Let's bring in Baz football expert Dan Barry now to talk about the match as goals from Saul and Alvaro Morata gave Atletico a 2-0 win. Dan, this was one of Atletico Madrid's best performances of the season, no?
6: Yeah, it was a particularly impressive performance from Atletico Madrid. I was also really impressed with Ángel Correa, who managed to set up both goals and he linked up really well with Morata as well.
2: They still needed Jan Oblak to do Jan Oblak things though, didn't they?
6: Yeah. In fact, I was wondering about how important that early save was because it's not very common for, for teams to go to the wonder and, and take an early lead. And I think that was, a ma- even though it was early on, it was a massive moment in the game. And I, and I, I guess that's why Jan Oblak probably is the best goalkeeper in, in the world at the moment because it could have been a completely different game after that. It's five
2: matches now without a win for Atletic Club. Unai Lopez spoke after the match and denied that it's a crisis. Dani Garcia, meanwhile, admitted that there is a sense of pessimism. What's your take?
6: We have to look at this realistically and look also at the games where Atletico Club have lost points. So they've lost to Valencia, they've lost to Atletico Madrid, and perhaps at the end of the season, in hindsight, you'd say, well, maybe those were two games where even though we would have preferred to pick up a, fo- a point... Maybe they're games where you could have expected to maybe lose. What worries me more though is not picking up points against the other sort of teams, the teams that we probably should be competing with, the likes of Leganes, the likes of BioDivid. I don't think it's a crisis yet, and I think it probably depends on what happens in the next three games, especially these next two home games against Espanol and, and Levante. Here's an
2: interesting stat for you. If Athletic Club don't score from their first corner in their next match against Espanol, then it'll have been 200 corners in a row. Without a goal in this way, not since the opening round of last season have they scored from a corner. Is that a big concern at Athletic, a club with a proud history of being good at set pieces?
6: Yeah, I was actually wondering about this when when Jan Oblak saved Inigo Martinez's goal. I started, I wondered, and I had looked up and I, and I saw this fact, and it is quite interesting because Athletic do have such a history of being very good at scoring and defending from set pieces. But I think we have to bear this in mind too. That actually Athletic Club. Their squad isn't that tall anymore, and if you look at uh, if you look at our forwards, for example, Raúl García is a very good header of the ball. Inaki Williams, although he's tall is not the greatest header of the ball, and then we've got Iker Munyain and Inigo Cordoba, who are you know, knocking around five foot nine, five foot ten.
2: Moving on to Celtic Vigo against Real Sociedad, this was a one 0 win for the Bas side against the team from Vigo. It was a bit of a hard watch though, wasn't it? It was so a stop start, but Real Sociedad ground out the win with a late goal from substitute Alexander Isaac. How pleased will they be to prove that they can also win in this gritty fashion?
6: Yeah, actually, that's quite interesting because throughout this week, Imanol uh, Aguacil has been saying that he doesn't really think that Real Sociedad are playing to the best of their capabilities. But yeah, they keep picking up points. That's a really good sign for for any club, especially a club that wants to be... That wants to qualify for Europe Can you pick up points when you're not playing at your best?
2: What weaknesses, if any, do you see with Real Sofidad this season?
6: Perhaps at the moment the only weakness would be Maybe a a lack of strength and depth They've got a very good starting eleven, But the players who are going to come on after that I think are a bit untested
2: And Dan, you're covering basketball in extra depth this season With a new podcast called The Choco Can you tell us a bit more about that?
6: Yeah, so I've started a, a new podcast with my friend Tony and basically the podcast specialises in Basque football so we have a weekly roundup of all the news from the five teams in La Liga and apart from that we also look a little bit more at what's going on in in terms of football in the rest of the Basque country especially looking at the Segunda Bay and the Tercera
2: Excellent, and we'll be checking in with Dan throughout the season to discuss all things Basque football too
7: Well, there it is. It's taken almost 98 minutes. Luis Tembranos gets a win on his first game in charge as caretaker manager of Leganes. Martin Braithwaite, the Budweiser king of the match, scorer of the only goal. Mallorca's uh, two-game winning streak comes to an end. Chance of seat, se Yes, we can. Ring around as Leganes get their first win of the season.
2: That there was the sound of Leganes finally earning their first victory of the season. Doing so with a Martin Braithwaite goal that proved to be the only goal of their game against Real Mallorca. It was the first match since Mauricio Pellegrino resigned as coach of Leganes. They don't have a new man in place yet, so interim coach Luis Simbranos from the B team was in the dugout and in the press box we have two La Liga Lowdown correspondents there in the form of Alex Fitzpatrick and Sam Leveridge. They put together a video from the match that you can check out on the La Liga Lowdown Twitter feed and Sam joins us now to discuss the game. So Sam, can you explain exactly what Simbranos changed for this game?
8: Yeah, Tembranos made changes throughout the side. It was not just in terms of the personnel. Obviously, there was some big calls there with Cristiano Rivera getting his first minutes of the season after joining on deadline day, and he hadn't even made the bench until the last two games under Mauricio Pellegrino. But then there was also Yusuf Enes who was left out entirely, wasn't even on the bench, and and that was a big shock for a lot of Leganes fans. So... Sembranos was certainly making an impression and looking to make some changes to the side, and it was quite noticeable in how they were playing. They were pressing really high, they were trying to get the ball passing through, and rather than the long balls over the top, which Peregrino preferred. So there was definitely a change in, in style and in personnel under Sembranos.
2: You mentioned Christian Rivera there, he was one of the best players at Huesca last season before joining Leganes in the summer can Leganes build around him with him as a midfield anchor
8: yeah Rivera came into the side and he did really well I mean you have to remember that he's still only 22 and he's been around for a while when he was a high bar previously and then when he was a Huesco on loan from Las Palmas last season he seemed to be a promising signing when he came into Leganes but nothing nothing came off for him he didn't seem to work until, until this weekend when he came into the side and in being them and the Roque Mesa had a bit more freedom to be a bit more attacking and it kind of opened up a bit more for the the Leganes midfield to try and get forward, use their wingers more.
2: Leganes are still looking for their next permanent coach, could that man be Sembranos?
8: When he was asked by the, the media after the game at the weekend he was he was quite clear that he's interested in, in that possibility. He wasn't talking too much about it, but he just wants to see, see what he can do to help Leganes and to get them flying back up the table. But if he can get some results together, then it might be a shrewd appointment for Leganes.
2: Thanks, Sam. The Leganes situation is certainly one to keep an eye on. And we'll, of course, be doing that right here on La Liga Lowdown. Let's switch it up now and talk some Real Wide Lead with Martin Devlin of Prussela Escofia, the Real Wide Lead Scottish fan group. They took on another side with Scottish connections in the form of Eibar on Saturday and, quite simply, they strolled past them in a 2-0 win. Coach Sergio even described this match as a party afterwards. Would you go along with that description, Martin?
7: Yeah, I'd certainly go along with that description. There's quite a lot to celebrate for Real Vida lead at the moment. Firstly, that's now five matches unbeaten in the league, which for this team is a very good run of form. I can totally understand that Sergio is trying to underline the good work achieved by the squad, bading in mind that they have such limited resources at their disposal.
2: This was one of the poorest Eibor performances I've seen in a long time. They allowed this to be quite a comfortable win in the end, didn't they?
7: I was really quite shocked with just how easy the win was. It was a very un-Mendelebar looking performance from Eibor, and really it wasn't befitting of the occasion of their 200th match in La Liga. There
2: was a first goal as a professional for centre-back Mohamed Salisou. You've spoken on this podcast before about how impressed you've been by him. Are you still in love with this guy? Is he still having a great season?
7: In one word, yes. <laughs> I'm still very much in love with Mohamed Salisu and he is definitely top of my Christmas card list. He just looks so accomplished at the back. It's like he's played there for years. He's good in the air. He's got great closing down ability. And, above all, he seems to possess the mental toughness needed to excel at this level. He just doesn't look flustered, and he keeps his composure. And the goal he scored was a fantastic reward for what's been an excellent start to the season for him.
2: There was a third goal of the season for Sergio Guardiola, but he's the only one of the Real Vitaly strikers who's scored so far this season. How concerned are you at the lack of production from Enes Onal and Sandro?
7: For all the joy surrounding the team, this lack of goals is still a concern and something that keeps many Real Valladolid fans awake at night, I'm sure. Sergio Guardiola continues to play his part, but I really want to see more from him. He's actually not an out-and-out striker. His natural position was more playing in behind the front man. But this seemed to change during his time at Cordoba, and then when he got that step up to Getafe, it didn't really happen for him. He's a sharp finisher, but he's far from the finished article, so the team cannot rely on him to provide the bulk of the goals. The other strikers need to step up. I still do like Enes Unal. I had hoped that with another season in Valladolid, he might gain some consistency, and also that the addition of Sandro and the competition for places might have spurred him on. But so far, he's looked low on confidence as well as sharpness. And Sandro continues to struggle, and he hasn't scored goals for some time now.
2: And would you like to see some more of Andrei Lunin, the young Ukrainian goalkeeper who's on loan from Real Madrid, is he ever going to get to play?
7: This is a big question that a lot of fans seem to be asking. He was quite a capture in the summer, arriving on loan from Real Madrid. He's undoubtedly a talent worthy of playing at international level. However, it's perhaps just not the right time for him. Jordi Masip's playing really well at the moment.
2: On Friday night Villarreal hosted Alaves on 1-4-1, Lucas Perez scored a really good goal for Alaves but Villarreal were too strong with efforts from Gerard Moreno, Javier Antiveros and a brace for Carl Toko Akambi. Let's bring in Paco Pollock now, and Paco has 5 goals in the Akambi's last 4 matches but he was quite bad at the start of the season, he's now in good form, what's changed?
1: Well, not really that much has changed. See, I believe this has been a gradual process and that Javi Calleja knew that making two strikers with such particular sets of skills as Gerard and Ekambi work together in harmony would be a very difficult task to achieve. Last season it wasn't the case because, well, Gerard was awful, but the Spaniard has excelled in the 10 games to date and Toko Ekambi had to hunt for new possibilities in other areas of the pitch. That transition is taking a while, but against Alaves we saw just how devastatingly powerful. Having both of them in form can be for the opposition. It's not a coincidence, not at all, that Villarreal are the top scoring team in La Liga.
2: Coach Xavi Calleja has said that Champions
1: League qualification is Villarreal's dream. Paco, can they make it? Of course they can make it. Alert La Liga Lowdown listeners already know that our early predictions in match day 1 or match day 2 talked about a very improved team without the burden of playing European competitions, which makes them to be fresher and more physically fit than other runner-ups to European spots this season. Villarreal are scoring a lot and have managed to keep their defense as solid as possible, with Albiol and Pau Torres even becoming international players with Spain. So yeah, I see them as candidates for Europe don't really know if squeezing into fourth at the end of May is a possibility, but they have the tools and the attitude to become a powerful team in the 1920 season of La Liga.
2: Well, thank you, Paco, and thanks to all of this week's contributors too, to David Whitworth, to Gregor Chappelle, to Roman de Arcaire, to Dan Parry, to Sam Leverage, and to Martin Devlin. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and we'll be back very soon with more La Liga Roundup and That's because there's a midweek round coming up, so we'll have a Match Day 11 recap coming out on Friday. We hope you'll join us then, and thanks for doing so now.